Hi, I'm Aubrey Charette. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Join us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Adrian. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And it's so, so good to have you with us today. Uh, You may hear my voice today, those that have been here a few times, and say, is he trying something new today with that? No, I'm not. I just don't feel good. So um, just thanks for laughing at my joke. But um, it's good now, and about 10 minutes from now it'll sound worse, but it's okay. We love each other, and we'll get through it. But it is a privilege to be here today, and I'm quite certain if you're not already, by the time you leave the room today, you're going to be glad you showed up. Um, because we have a really awesome um, time in the Word together. And then we have a special guest here this morning, and uh, she's come to share her story. And her story is one worth hearing. And so you're going to be glad you showed up today. If you would, as that offering plate passes by, would you take out your copy of Scripture this morning? Uh, We're going to land in Matthew chapter 9 for just a few minutes together and uh, focus on uh, a specific encounter that Jesus has with a crowd of people. And I've entitled this morning's uh, message, Time Together, uh, Moved with Compassion. Moved with Compassion. And uh, we're going to see time and time again throughout the ministry of Jesus, he was moved with compassion. And we're going to begin looking at one specific encounter that Jesus has and how this idea of of compassion, being moved with compassion, uh, really changed the trajectory, not just of the ministry for him, but those he was ministering to. Uh, so follow along with me if you have a version Bible app. We have an event set up there today that you'll want to check out. But this is God's word for us, starting in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9. It says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's why he was healing. That's why he was ministering, right? Because he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The next verse says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. If we look at this passage of Scripture, and you look with me, uh, one of the things it says, it says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. Every week it seems like I kind of bring this up, and and you may wonder why. The New Testament was not originally written in English. Uh, It was written uh, in Greek primarily, and so when we try to understand Scripture now in our language, in English, we sometimes have to go back to the original language to make sure that we're catching every nuance. And this idea of being moved with compassion is one of them, because here it says he had compassion, but if you look at that Greek word, it really means that to be moved with compassion compassion. In fact, the root word, the root word of that Greek term literally means your insides and even your bowels, which is kind of disgusting, honestly. But this is the connotation that being moved with compassion is being moved to the inside, the innermost, like uh, it's, it's deep within. That's the kind of compassion that we're talking about here. And so it doesn't, this is not Jesus just on a whim. Jesus had you know, maybe it was the pizza he ate last night. It made him feel, no, no, no. This is him being moved to the core, to the depth of himself with compassion. 
And so this morning, uh, briefly, I just want to look at what I think are two practical ways that compassion impacts us. Uh, We are a church um, that I believe wants to be defined by living compassionately in our community and in our world. And so what does that mean to be moved with compassion? I think it means two things specifically for us this morning. I think compassion always leads to action. Compassion always leads to action. That's the difference. That's the difference between maybe sympathy. That's the difference between pity maybe and compassion is Pity might be, I watch, you know, late at night, the infomercial, and it's the animals that need to be adopted. Call this number for $30 a month. You can, some people are into that. That's great. I might look at that and say, hmm, that's sad. Wonder if the Red Sox are winning. You know, I change the channel. That's kind of pity. That's like, ooh, tear jerk for a minute, but I don't do anything about it, right? That's not compassion. Compassion involves action. Every time in the ministry of Jesus that he is moved with compassion, He's acting upon it, right? He's feeding people. He's healing people. He's ministering to them. He's eating in their homes. And that's what compassion meant to Jesus. To be moved with compassion meant that it involved action. Even when, even when Jesus um, embraces the whole crowd, as we see in Matthew chapter 9, it says that he was moved with compassion. And the result of that is he, he heals. He ministers. He touches. He, and, and so for us, I want to be clear what we're talking about today. We're not just talking about, oh, I feel bad for them, and oh, that, that's so sad, and oh, but, but we're talking about something, compassion, be moved with compassion to the depth of our core, which says, I have to do something about it. I cannot stay silent. I cannot stay the same. I'm moved with compassion. Why? Because compassion always leads to action. But the second thing I think we can see from the life of Jesus is that compassion begins with one, with one. This is profound for some of us because we oftentimes, maybe if you're like me, I feel like I have a big heart and so I see needs in my own community and I see needs in my neighborhood and I see needs all around me and I can feel so burdened by so many things but then paralyzed by the fact that there's so many needs. What can I do? But Jesus, when he showed compassion, it always began with one. Even in the crowds, the crowds of people, he he fed 5,000 people, but it's not like he prayed and suddenly food showed up in their laps. In fact, scripture is clear that there was a process by which the food was distributed one by one by one. One of my favorite uh, stories in scripture, one of my favorite stories in scripture in Mark chapter 5, I've preached on it before. It's a story where Jesus is on his way really to an emergency, there's a little girl that's dying, and Jesus has kind of said, hey, or they, he's been brought into it, like, hey, can you come, Jesus? And so he agrees to come. And on his way there, the crowds crush in around him, and they're just pushing in. Everybody wants to be near Jesus. And if it were me, and I, I was the son of God, and I had somewhere to go, I'd kind of say, part, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, see ya later. But he doesn't do that. And in the midst of that crowd that day, there's one woman, and we don't know her name. We just know her, literally. She, she's a woman. In fact, her name is woman who was subject to bleeding. That's what we know about her, is that she, was, she, was, she had something that could not be cured. No matter who she asked, no matter all the medical attention she sought out, no one could help her. And so in a moment of desperation, she wants to get to Jesus. And in a crowd that big, there's got to be, everybody's bumping up against them, but she reaches out just to touch the garment that Jesus is wearing. And the scripture says that she's healed. And the power goes out from Jesus and heals her. But then Jesus does something really odd, and that's why I love this passage. He stops. 
Now, there's a little girl's life that hangs in the balance, and there's people everywhere, but Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Everyone's got to be thinking, you're crazy, Jesus. What are you? Everyone's touching you. Everyone. No, 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 no. I, I felt the power leave me. That's what he says in Mark chapter 5, who touched me? And this woman is forced to kind of present herself, maybe, maybe ashamed. She touched another man. That was against the Jewish law. She presents herself in that moment. And, and oftentimes I just wonder, why did Jesus do that? She was already healed. She'd already experienced what it is, and Jesus had other things to do. Isn't this a better use of time management? Like, just let them touch me and they can be healed. I don't have to talk to them. No, he stops. And the reason I'm convinced time and time again as I read that story is because Jesus wanted her to know that I see you. You matter to me. In a crowd this big with so many needs and, and there's life hanging in the balance here and, and I, I'm the savior of the world and I'm busy but I stop in the midst of this crowd in the midst of your shame and brokenness because daughter I want you to know that I see you Jesus even in the crowds even amidst all the needs he never lost sight of one person one need and so for us <laughs> So for us, it's so easy to get fixated on big, like, like we live in a world today where 600 million people woke up today and they don't have access to clean water. We live in a world today where, where today thousands of children will die because they, they're hungry and they don't have food. We live in a world where today in our community, there are people, families that will go to bed hungry. And it's so easy to hear that and to be moved but then to say, I don't know where to start. I can't do something for 600 million people. And so what does it do? It paralyzes us. Maybe, maybe we're afraid. Maybe we just go to bed and say, well, maybe tomorrow. And ultimately, we don't do anything. For Jesus, compassion always began with one. I love this statement, this phrase I've picked up over the years. I've used it often with our staff, with others, when I've done some training. Talk about this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish today. Some of you in this room, you have the biggest heart. And you're moved today with compassion. And you wish you could walk out the door and you could end hunger in this community. I, I believe through the power of God we can do that as a church. But you feel such a burden, but then you walk out the door and you're like, I don't know where to begin. Do for one today. Start with one hungry person, one hungry family, one place where you can open up your heart and life to serve someone. Why? Because compassion always begins with one. This morning, we're really blessed and privileged to have a young lady who has been uh, impacted by compassion, but she's also been impacting others by being moved by her compassion. And her name's Judy. She's come here um, through Operation Christmas Child Samaritan's Purse. And in a minute, she's going to come. And her story is compelling compelling about the need for compassion to result in action, but that compassion begins with one. And so as she prepares to come and join us on the stage, uh, watch this uh, video a little bit about her story and her life. My name is Judy, and I am from Honduras. From the day I was born until I was 16, I lived in an orphanage. At two years old, I got separated from my siblings, including my twin sister. Living conditions in the orphanage were really challenging for me. I felt hopeless and discouraged. At six years old, I experienced hope for the very first time. I got a shoebox, and I loved everything in my shoebox. But the thing that I liked the most was the picture of the American little girl and the note that says, Jesus loves you, and I love you too. 
Seven years later, I ran away to the mountains. After hours of crying and blaming God for the life that I was living in, I started questioning Him. And that's when I pull out the picture of the American little girl that sent the shoebox to me and her little note that says, Jesus love you and I love you too. And this was the answer of my questions. Three months later, I dedicated my life to the Lord. And today I want to say thank you for the hope and for sharing the gospel to our Simple Shoebox. Church family, would you help me welcome Judy this morning? I don't know if you realize it, church family, but often when you show up here on a Sunday, you're sitting in the midst of miracles. I mean, I mean, the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, uh, you, you are a miracle. And today is another reminder of that because uh, I've gotten the privilege now of getting to know Judy a little bit this morning and hearing her story in the first service. And I can't be in the room with her and not think, wow, she is a miracle of God. And so today, um, thank you. Thanks for being here today and for sharing a little bit of your story um, with us, and we heard a little bit in the video, but tell us a little bit about growing up in Honduras and a little bit of your story and some of the circumstances in which you grew up. First of all, Pastor Adrian, just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to come over here to, let's see if I say it right this time, Harrison Born. No, Harrison Burn. You got it's like it. A yeah. again, right? It's not easy. Um, yeah. um, first up the church, you know, <laughs> yeah. of Nazarene. I'm just thankful for the opportunity you yeah. know but um like in the video said you know like i'm original from honduras uh from the day that i was born until uh two years old i grew up in 14 different orphanages at the age of two years old that's when i got separated from my siblings including my twin sister and i still have not seen them but i still believe that there is a god that is going to bring us together one day after that i went to another orphanage which the orphanage started with five kids and then it grew up to 550 kids. At the beginning, there was no electricity, there was no water, and if we were lucky enough to have three meals, it would be more like a tortilla and salt, and that was kind of like it. Mm. But one of the things that we were so grateful to have was an education, because in many of the orphanages in Honduras, you do not have that opportunity. I remember I was only six years old, I was in second grade, when we heard our helicopter coming and landing in our soccer field and the orphanage. Didn't have a clue what was going on. I just remember our teacher divided us in different ages and told us that they would give us a, a gift. They didn't say a gift, they just say a small box. <laughs> and then I remembered, um, but she said, but before we give it to you guys, you are not allowed to open it until everybody has to receive their own. I remember I was one of the first uh, kids in line when they gave me my shoe box. They started getting from these brown boxes, they started getting these small shoe boxes, and they gave it to me. And as soon as they gave it to me, I tapped one of the missionaries' shoulder and I said, Excuse me, ma'am, can I open my shoe box? <laughs> and they say, uh, Nope, you are not allowed to open it. You have to wait for everybody to receive their own shoe box. But the reason why I asked that question was because my friends who were beside me, they had the clear shoe boxes or the transparent ones. <laughs> They're cheating. The right, ones that see. you are able to see everything. Yeah. And I saw so many colorful things, things that I have never seen before. So while I was waiting for everybody to receive their own shoe boxes, I started shaking my shoe box, mm -hmm. trying to figure it out what would be inside of our shoe boxes. Then I remember, of course, the missionaries, they pray for us. They share the gospel about Jesus, and then we all at the same time 
uh, count to three and open our shoeboxes. Wow. Tell us a little bit more about what was in your shoebox that day. A lot of us here, um, some of us in the room at least have packed these before, and we put in some items and just, we might give much thought to how meaningful these might be, but tell us a little bit about what was in your shoebox that day. Yes, so there's a few things that I brought with me. Um, I remember that when I opened my shoebox, I, I was so excited because one of the first things I saw in my shoebox was a set of 10 pencils. And I screamed as loud as I could when I saw them because in my orphanage, at the beginning of the school year, they would give us one notebook and one pencil. And it has to last you the entire year. And knowing that that year I didn't receive only one um, pencil, but a set of 10 pencils, I got so excited about it. But there's also too, a toothbrush, a pinky toothbrush. And I got so excited too when I saw this because in the orphanage, before I receive my shoebox, I have to share the same toothbrush with 25 other girls. And knowing that for the first time I had my own toothbrush, that was so special. There was also too like a, a pinky oink oink, I just <laughs> You know, let's see if it still goes in. <laughs> Can you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. But stop. Yeah. And listen to me too. Uh, but there were so many other items in there. But there was something special in my shoebox. Hmm. There was this note right here, the original one, of the little girl who packed my shoebox. A note that simply said, "Jesus love you, and I love you too." And being honest with you, Pastor Adrian, I was more excited about all the items that were inside of my shoebox. I was really excited, one, because it was my first Christmas present, mm. but also, two, I was so excited because for the first time, I had something that I can say is my own, and I don't have to share it with anybody, not, anybody else in the orphanage. Because if there was a pair of shoes or a pair of socks or sandals, anything, the first one that comes in line, that's the one that... God did. But that year when I received my shoebox, mm. I even remember sleeping with that shoebox for weeks and even wow. for months like a teddy bear <laughs> because I didn't want anybody to touch it. That's how special that shoebox was in my wow. life. And tell us a little bit more. Uh, we heard a little bit in the video about obviously that as a six-year-old, that was a pretty incredible moment, but life didn't necessarily just get easy after you got that shoebox. So tell us a little bit more about your childhood after you received your shoebox, and then ultimately to the moment where you met Jesus, you yes. began a relationship with Christ. Yes, so at the age of 13 years old, I can no longer continue my education because the orphanage didn't have financial support for my class to continue going to school. So due to that, I had to work in a kitchen for 120 boys, but also too, I was in charge of taking care of the babies, which it was babies from two weeks all the way to two years old with three of my friends the same age, 13 years old. But every other Sunday, I didn't have to cook. So there's one specific Sunday at 13 years old when I didn't have to cook that I had a box similar to the shoe box. But in that box, I had pictures and letters from missionaries and volunteers that had came through the orphanage through all those years that I was there. And they give us those letters to encourage us. And one specific Sunday when I didn't have to cook, I took the bags with me to the mountains and the orphanage. And I was just angry at God for the life that I was living. I even remember that after hours of just crying and blaming him, I even questioned him. And one of the questions I asked him was, how can a God like you, that many people say that you do all these wonderful miracles, has left me as an orphan? I also was upset at him because, you know, like in the orphanage, if you were a girl, you were not allowed to play soccer. 
but I also was like upset at him because I just felt hopeless. And I even remember that another question I asked him was, if you are real, show it to me. Show it to me because I don't see you here. And I remember opening the box that I had with me, and the first thing I saw was this, once again, the picture and the note of the little girl who packed my shoebox, the note that simply said, Jesus, love you, and I love you too. And my Mr. Pain, and my Mr. Struggling, when I felt that God was really far away simply because I was an orphan, he was always there for me. This little girl and her family didn't know my story, but they took a step of faith to pack a simple shoebox of items that it might be insignificant, but for me, everything was significant. That same day, I embraced God's love. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but also, too, that same day, I received another special gift, and it was a Bible. And when I opened it, the first Bible verse I saw was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. And that day in the mountains, I did believe that God had a plan for my life. Wow. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. One of the things that people don't realize, um, a lot of times when we pack a shoebox, we may think about the items in the box, and we may think about, you know, the moment the kid opens that and how meaningful that is. But there's other, there's other things going on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't realize, and that's um, every kid who receives the box. So this year, the goal is 11 million. That's a lot. It's but this year, the goal is 11 million shoeboxes that will be sent all over the world. But every kid that receives one doesn't just receive a gift. They also have the opportunity to go through a discipleship program called The Greatest Journey. Yes. Would you tell us a little bit more about that and why that's so powerful? Because a gift is powerful. Yes. But what was most powerful to you is beyond the gift was the power of God and his love for you and that he wanted a relationship with you. So can you tell a little bit more about how this opportunity for The Greatest Journey is impacting children like you around the world. Yeah, so Pastor Adrian, um, being honest with you, it's not what it goes inside of these shoeboxes. It is about what it goes beyond. When every kid receives a shoebox, they don't only receive a shoebox, but after that they get invited to come back again, and they get um, a book in their language, which is called The Greatest Journey, and they go through a 12-week discipleship program where they get to hear from the beginning when God created, created the world into the end right here. But also too, when the kids graduate from the greatest journey, they get um, a certificate of graduation mm -hmm. and they celebrate, you know, like, it's like a glimpse of heaven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Being honest with you, it's just a glimpse of heaven because these kids get to uh, graduate from the discipleship program. But also too, when they finish the 12, uh, weeks of the discipleship program, at the end of the book, they get to write 10 names of kids that they will be praying for. Mm -hmm. But also, too, they invite somebody else to come, and that kid next year will receive the same thing, wow. a gift. Cool. But yeah. also, too, many kids, uh, is, they get impacted, but also they get uh, saved. Mm -hmm. But it's not just because of the two bucks. It is what it goes beyond. And it's just really neat to just see, you know, that because of that, not even just our families get to know Jesus, but also to their community. And even like churches are being building because of that. And we're just so grateful just to see, you know, that many kids 
are being impacted because of that. I love the impact. Talk about the impact of one, and then you think of that kid going through a discipleship program, and then how that impacts their family, the list of 10 kids that they're praying for. That's kind of exponential impact that's happening through that. That's powerful. I wanted you to share a little bit more. You know, you talked about that moment as a 13-year-old where you really opened up your heart to God for the first time and began a relationship with him. Talk us through a little bit more of, because you're not just here as a person that received a shoebox and who serves alongside Samaritan's Purse. You do a lot of other things. And so I want you to take us back to your 13, you know, 13-year-old you when you began that relationship with God and then tell us how God has been working in your life since then up until what he's doing in your life now. In 2004, the Lord gave me the privilege to move from the orphanage, went to a different organization called Eternal Family Project, where I had the opportunity, one, to continue my education, but also to serve the community. And that was something that I always had a passion for, to serve others. And then that's when in 2005, I met my adopted family from Dayton, Tennessee. And then in 2008, that's when the Lord opened doors for me to come here to the States uh, to one with a full scholarship (laughs) to play soccer in a college level, but also two to continue my education. And then uh, that's through all those four years, which 2008 to 2012, the Lord gave me the opportunity to take the girls soccer team from Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee to go to Honduras and serve my own people there. But then through uh, 2012 to present, now I have the privilege to serve uh, or to use the platform of soccer to expose the gospel to uh, 500 kids in our program. We started with 25 and now we are with um, 500. And like I always say, we give these kids a high quality soccer and able to give them what they need, which is the gospel. And I'm just so grateful, you know, that God is giving me the opportunity, gave me the talent to soccer so that I can now use it to expose the gospel to so many kids that are in need of it. And I'm just grateful to use every second of my life, you know, to just honor him. And you, so yesterday you got on a plane kind of late to come here, but it's because all day (laughs) you're a part of this ministry reaching 500 kids with soccer, something, a skill and a gift that God's given you, but using it for his glory. Tell us a little bit more that, now this isn't through Operation Christmas Child, but this is part of the seed God planted in you, and now he's growing and, and using to bear fruit. Tell us a little bit more about some of the families that are being reached yes, um, so, through this ministry that you're yes, a part of now. I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. So we have been reaching, we have, like I said it before, uh, 500 kids in our ministry, and we are serving in an area in Atlanta called Gwinnett County. So one of the, even though this is not part of Gwinnett County, we're serving specifically in one community that is called Clarkston. Clarkson community, and it's just uh, so neat to see, you know, at the beginning, because I serve as a full-time missionary with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, so when they see the, the cross, they're always like, hinder us of like coming to their community, and they're like, no, 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 we do not want you guys to be here simply because you guys are Christian, but we bring a soccer ball, and they're like, yes, bring it right here, bring it to us, but then we told them, parents, if your kid is gonna be part of our program, your kids are going to be exposed with the gospel. They're gonna be exposed and they're like, if you bring in soccer, we are okay with that. Mm-hmm. We're okay, so we remember that every, in every single um, season, before we start the season, we give every single kid a Bible. Of course, in their own language, but we give these kids a Bible and we told them, this Bible is gonna be yours, you can take it home with you, 
And I remember the first season, the Clarkson community, because this is kids that are refugee kids, and many of them are Muslims. So they did not want to take the Bibles. But the next, I remember the next month, they came back again. Many of them were taking their Bibles home. And there's one specific story, which I didn't say earlier, but one specific family. There's three kids in the family. They were taking their Bible. They were hiding it under their beds, and they were reading it. Every time their parents were coming to their room, they hide it back again. But then one time, their parents find it. Mm. We get a call and say, hey, Judy, we know that you are one of the coaches from one of my kids. And we know that you've been hearing about this God. We want to learn more about it. Mm. All the family, a member of seven, they came to know the Lord because of that. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, And you know, and it's just that piece of us, like being always present for these kids and let them know, you know, there's a God that does care for you. Like the same thing like you, Pastor, share about the woman, you know, that touched yeah. touch him. And it's just something so powerful, you know, that God always say, hey, I'm here for you. Yeah. you I'm not going to forsake you. Even if you're like biological parents abandon you. I'm always gonna be there for you. I'm never gonna abandon you. So that's the thing with us too, you know, like being honest with you guys. Pastor, we all here are orphans mm -hmm. until we becomes to know the Lord and he say, hey, I'm your heavenly father. I will never abandon you. So right. it's just so neat just to see, you know, that when you are faithful, he's always there for you, so. What I appreciate about your story too, I think you show the power of one, you know, one shoebox that changed your life, but then you're living with that kind of compassion now on a day-to-day -day basis believing in just the power of that one kid that you can touch. And um, God's using your life to do some pretty incredible things. We're going to close in a minute. And we as a church have been a part of Operation Christmas Child for a while. This is a ministry that we've been a part of. Many in the room probably have packed a shoebox before. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to kind of give you the final word this morning. If there's one thing that you could say to them, one thing you'd like them to remember about you, about this opportunity that they have, what is it that you would want to say to everyone listening in the room today? First of all, I just want to say thank you to those who have packed you boxes because you are truly are making an impact in so many kids. And I just want to encourage you for those ones that have not packed you boxes, but for those ones too that have packed you boxes, I will encourage you to continue doing it because you are making, like I said it before, an impact in so many kids' lives. You might not know who is the kid that is receiving the shoe box that you are packing, but God knows already. But also too, you do not have to be a missionary to go to a third world country and give that shoebox. By simply packing that shoebox, you are being a missionary already. But also too, you are impacting those kids for his kingdom. And I just wanna say, these shoeboxes bring a lot of joy, bring a lot of love, but the most important, it brings a lot of hope. And here's that hope in Jesus Christ. And I just want to say thank you to you all because this ministry will not continue going without people like you guys. And I just want to say thank you so much. And may God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Adrian. Again. Awesome. Well, I want to pray for you and just pray a blessing over you. She's going to get on a plane this afternoon. She's going to speak in the third service also uh, in Spanish. And uh, then go get on a plane and back to work tomorrow. Yes. Um, <laughs> doing your ministry. And so we're grateful that you've taken time to come be with yeah. us. And so... Church, I'm going to pray, but I know you want to pray too. So would you just join me in praying blessing uh, over Judy's life and uh, now the impact that she's having on others. Lord, you are a miracle-working God. That's who you are. 
in the most broken places in our life, in the places where it's hopeless, in the places where we could look and see nothing but destruction and despair. That's where you come in and you bring hope. So Lord, we thank you uh, for this testimony today that we've heard from Judy and thank you for the power of your work in her life and thank you that yes, while she was an orphan, maybe not just a physically but spiritually, Lord, you came and you rescued her. You met her right where she was. And today we thank you for the miracle that you've done in her life. It inspires us. It challenges us. It challenges our faith today in a new way to believe that that's the kind of God that you are, that you can do all things. But Lord, it also challenges us to be people of compassion, to be people that believe, even in just one person, one person's life that can be impacted for your glory. So today we pray a blessing over Judy. We pray a blessing that as she returns home to the work that you've entrusted her to, to lives and families that are being changed and transformed through her gift and her calling of using soccer, Lord, we pray that you would continue to use her for your glory in the days ahead. And Lord, we pray a blessing uh, over these shoe boxes uh, that are going to be distributed around the world. 11 million children, Lord. And I just pray not just an impact on them, but on their families and on their communities and on their churches. Yeah, and even the world, Lord. We believe it can be different because we're moved with compassion. Thank you. And in the precious name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. Church, would you join me again in thanking Judy for being here today? Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Jeff's going to come help her. Uh, everyone else she greets by their first name, but she calls him Mr. Jeff. So I don't know if just that gray hair, she just felt like seniority needed to call him Mr. But he's going to make sure she gets down the stairs uh, with her knee that's just had surgery. Well, church, uh, I know I've been blessed. I've gotten to sit here twice, but I know that uh, I've just been blessed um, being reminded of the God that we serve. He's so much bigger. <laughs> He's so much bigger <laughs> than we imagine. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to serve a big God today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. We're at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.